Today we're going to finish a uh, look at the seven churches. You see the, uh, the title of the message on the screen. That comes right out of the scripture. I get, the question is not, but the statement is, Jesus told the church at Laodicea that he was ready to spit them out of his mouth. That's certainly something we don't want the Lord to do for us. So one of the things that we've been looking at, at the, as we looked at this book of Revelation and, and as we looked at the series on the seven churches, just in chapter 2 and 3, is we've tried to hear what the Lord is saying. What in the world was he saying? Was he trying to lay out seven church ages that would appear over time? The Bible never says that. That might be in a note in your Bible, but the Bible never says that. Was Jesus talking to seven actual churches and was he speaking to them within the context of their community so that they would clearly hear and plainly understand what the Spirit was saying to their church? How would he speak to you? Would he speak to you in some cryptic form or would he speak to you plainly in words in which you could understand? So what I want you to see is this book is a practical book. The Lord is speaking to us from the pages of this book. And so in two chapters of the Bible, Jesus says seven things, the same seven things over and over. If Jesus said one thing and he said it once, it would be enough to listen to. But when he says it twice, it must be very important. And if he says it seven times, it must be of supreme importance. Seven times Jesus said, let him that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The Spirit is still speaking. He's speaking to you and he's speaking to me. And so it's our goal to try to understand what Jesus is saying. Now we're going to look at Revelation chapter seven, or chapter 3 and we're going to look at verses 14 and following. Jesus says he identifies himself as the Amen the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot, so because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, or hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and poor and miserable and blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may become rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he, who, and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
So let's look at Jesus' message in the context of their community. So he talks to them about being lukewarm. Why did he raise the issue of being lukewarm? And why did he say to them, I will spit you out of my mouth? It was something they clearly understood. Laodicea had a little problem with their water supply. Their water supply came from another city uh, some miles away that had hot springs that flowed over a cliff that was encrusted with lime and sulfur. The water came down from the springs hot, but as it descended down the face of that cliff, it picked up the taste of the lime and sulfur, and when it pooled at the bottom, it was no longer hot, and it was not cold. It was lukewarm. And so travelers would pass along that way, and many an unsuspected traveler would stop at the pool of, that pool of water, thirsty for some of Laodicea's water, and immediately spit it out of their mouth because it was not pleasing to them. And so this was our Lord's word to a church that was no longer pleasing to him. Now, we see this in the New Testament, but we also see it multiple times in the Old Testament. Let me give you one example from the book of Amos. I want to read Amos chapter 5, verses 21 through 23. As God spoke to his people about their church, if we could call it church in the Old Testament, he spoke to them about their worship and what he saw. Now, we have the view from the pew. You know how you feel about what you do and how you engage in worship or what happens from the pulpit and how we engage in worship. But what is our Lord's view? This is what he said in the time of Amos. He said, I hate, he used that word, I hate, I reject your festivals, nor do I delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer up to me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them, and I will not even look at the peace offerings of your fatlings. And then he said, Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not even listen to the sound of your harps. God says, All this is not pleasing to me. Something is, is off key. Something is not right. And of course, it's always a matter of of the heart. So what is our Lord's opinion of us? How does he see us? How does he view us? And how do we need to view ourselves? So it's not our opinion of the church that matters. It's our Lord's opinion. Now he said to them, we'll look at verses 17 and 18. He said, you have this issue. You say, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And he said, but you don't see this about yourself, that you are poor and wretched and miserable and blind and naked. You need to buy from me some gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed and I salve so that you can anoint your eyes so that you may see. One of the issues about the church at Laodicea, one of the historical facts about that community, it, it was that it was the banking center of Asia Minor. It was a wealthy community. They didn't need that much in the way of physical things. And so they saw themselves as having everything they needed, but spiritually they were in poverty. 
spiritual poverty. They couldn't see it. They couldn't see themselves the way God saw them. The second thing about the city is it was known for uh, a black wool that came from a certain kind of sheep that was there. And from that black wool, they made a glossy garment known as a trimata. And the people of that day, if they were in step with their culture, uh, if they had an Easter Sunday when everybody dressed up and came to church, I don't think they did, but they probably would have walked around dressed in those long flowing black robes, quite fine to being in step with fashion. And yet Jesus would say to them, that black robe that you're wearing is indicative of your black hearts and you need white robes that can only come from me. The robes of white, as you know, are washed in the blood of the lamb. They needed forgiveness. And then the city was also uh, a major, uh, uh, they, one of their major things was they produced an eye salve. They were uh, known for that eye salve that was uh, spread across Asia Minor. And they might have had signs up in the city, uh, keep our city free of blindness or most sighted city in Asia Minor. Probably not, but that fact of that them producing their own ISAB made the Lord say, hey, what you need is some ISAB from me so that you may anoint your eyes, so that your spiritual eyes would be open. What I'm trying to show you is Jesus was dealing with them in a very practical way. He was speaking to a group of people who would have known exactly what he was saying and exactly why he was saying it. So how did the, uh, the identity of Jesus as he presents himself here. Here's number two. How did his identity give credibility to this word of warning? His identity comes there in, in verse one. He says to the angel of the church in Laodicea, right? The amen. That's the way he identifies himself. I'm the amen or the amen. In the Greek, whenever you read Jesus says truly, truly, or verily, verily, the Greek word is always amen, amen. And it means the absolute truth. And so Jesus said, you're about to hear the absolute truth from the true and faithful witness. Nobody knows you like Jesus. Nobody knows me like Jesus. Now we're comforted from time to time that he knows our needs and that he knows our problems, that he knows our burdens, that he knows our concerns. But sometimes it convicts us that he also knows our sins. And that's what he's about to say to this church. I know everything about you. I know that you may appear to be uh, okay, but you're not okay. Your view of you is not what matters. It's not the view from the pew that matters. It's not the view from the pulpit that matters. It's the view from heaven that matters. What does Jesus think about you? What would his estimation be of your heart? And that's what he's doing here. And he also identifies himself as the beginning of the creation of God. That doesn't mean he's the first of God's creation. He's the creator himself. How do we know that's what John meant when he wrote that word? Because when John wrote the gospel of John, he said about the Lord Jesus Christ uh, that all things were made by him, and without him not anything was made that has been made. Jesus himself is the creator. So this is your creator and my creator who's speaking to us about the 
people that we need to be. Nobody knows how we should be operating. Nobody knows when we're fixed and working right other than the one who made us. And he says, you've got some broken places in your life that need to be addressed. And I'm trying to tell you what those are. So where is Jesus in reference to the church at Laodicea? Well, you know, uh, with all of these other churches, Jesus said, uh, he gave this picture, he said, I'm walking in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. And he was, he was in their midst, but it was a little different at Laodicea. Because at Laodicea, Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. He wasn't in the church, he was outside the church, knocking to get in the church. Where is Jesus in your church? Can you identify him for me? Can you tell me where he is and what he is doing and how he is working? How about in your own life? Where is Jesus? Is he in the midst of your life, in the midst of your family? Or have you conveniently shut him out? And today, is he knocking at the door of your heart, of your church, and of your home requesting entrance? Now, what is the warning that Jesus issued to the church at Laodicea? And to five of these churches, Jesus issued some pretty severe warnings. And to each one came, or to at least four of them, came the threat of his coming. Not the promise of his coming, but the threat of his coming. To Ephesus, the church that left its first love, Jesus threatened to come and remove their lampstand from its place. To the church at Pergamum, Jesus threatened to come and war against them, fight against them with the sword of his mouth or with the word from his mouth. To Thyatira, he warned that he would come and cast some of them on a bed of sickness. But at Laodicea, he didn't say, I'm coming. He says, I'm at the door. I'm at the door. He's knocking. He's already there. This picture of Jesus standing at the door and knocking is, is, is a beautiful picture, really. You might know that there's an artist, uh, there was an artist named Holman Hunt who painted a picture of this. Many of you have seen it. Jesus standing at a door, knocking. He has a crown of thorns on his head. The door is barred with nails and the hinges are rusty. Grass and brambles are across the threshold. It's overgrown with ivy. There's a bat uh, fl flitting outside the, the door itself. And Hunt intended to portray Jesus standing there outside the door of the human heart and knocking. Before his painting was first put on display, one of his friends came to him and said, uh, Hunt, you've made a major mistake here. You, you didn't put a handle on the door. And Hunt said, this is no mistake. This is the door to the human heart. And the human heart can only be opened from the inside. There's a truth to that, you know. That's not in the Bible, but it's certainly true that Jesus stands at the door and knocks. He's not going to force his way into your life. He's not going to force his way into my life, but he wants us to open the door from the inside, and this is his invitation to this church. So what's the opportunity offered to Laodicea? He says there in verse 20. 
Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and sup with him or dine with him and he with me. If any individual can hear what the Spirit is saying, and the voice of the Spirit is the voice of the Lord Jesus, if you hear his voice, and if you open the door, you as an individual will have an opportunity for fellowship with Jesus. And in that way, you will also open the door for him to come in and do his work in the life of your church. In the early part of the 20th century, some churches would have what they would call a, a lantern service. Really what it was was a slideshow. It was a crude way of projecting pictures uh, on the wall and the light of the lantern would throw the picture on the wall. And one night during one of those lantern services, they were showing a picture of the painting of Holman Hunt with Jesus knocking at the door of the heart. And when the picture was flashed on the screen, a little boy grasped his father's hand and said, Daddy, Daddy, why don't they open the door? And the dad replied, I suppose it's because they don't want to. And the little boy said with some great perception, he said, I don't think it's that, Daddy. I, I, I think what it is is that they all live at the back of the house and they can't hear him knocking. Isn't that the problem with some of us? We've gotten so far from the door, so far from where Jesus is, so distracted by the things of the world and the problems of our own life, the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches that Jesus... Jesus talked about that we can no longer hear Jesus knocking at the door of our own heart. When was the last time you heard Jesus knock at the door of your heart? I'm speaking to those of you who are Christians and have genuinely experienced that at a past point in your life. You know for a fact there was a moment, maybe you were a 10-year-old boy or a teenager, but Jesus came and he knocked at the door of your heart and you opened that door and you responded to him. How long has it been since you had the experience of Jesus knocking at the door of your heart? Or perhaps Jesus knocked again and again and again and you just got further and further away or got busier and busier and more and more distracted until you could no longer recognize the sound of his knock. Now why was Christ's judgment on Laodicea so severe? Why did he say, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth? Why would he tell a person such a thing or why would he say such a thing to a church. Well, look at verse 19. He said, Those whom I love, I rebuke and chasten. In other words, you're the person that has shut Jesus out. You're the person that's ignored the knocking, and yet he still knocks. And he urges you, he calls you, why would he keep calling? Why would he send threats of discipline? Because he says, I love you. I care about you. Isn't that amazing? Man, I th it's amazing to me as I look at my own life that God could continue to love me, that he would continue to pursue me. He pursues us. He pursues our church because he wants a relationship with us. And so he says, be zealous, therefore, and repent. You know what zealous means? Hot with fire. I want you to be hot with fire about one thing. 
getting things right with me. Let that be the number one priority of your life, the number one passion of your heart, to get things right with me. That's urgent. That's urgent. We only have a little time in this world. And so Jesus comes and he knocks and he calls. When I was a pastor in Alabama, we had a well-known pastor, Dr. Charles Carter. He was a longtime pastor of Shades Mountain Baptist Church in Birmingham. And he, he had a sermon that he preached all over and everybody knew it and it was a sermon about losing Jesus it was a story about you know when Jesus was a boy of 12 and his parents left him lost him didn't know that they had lost him until they had gone a day's journey and then they realized that Jesus was missing he said sometimes it's the same way in the church sometimes we lose Jesus we get busy and bothered and distracted, and, and one day we just realize that, that we've lost Jesus. He, says, he said, the ones who lose him are the ones, number one, the ones you'd least expect to lose him. Number two, all you have to do to lose him is to go one day's journey without him. Some of us have gone many more days than that without Jesus. But he said to find him, you're going to find him where you left him. Where did you lose Jesus? What was it? When was it? Was it in that moment when Jesus said something to you, when he knocked at the door of your heart and you said, well, no, Jesus, not today? Well, maybe you need to return to that moment and say, Lord, I hear you. I remember what you said to me. It's been a long time since I experienced you, but Lord, I want to return to that moment right now. And I would desire that you speak to my heart. These verses, these messages to these churches are very practical messages from the Lord who knows everything about us and who would say again to us today, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Let's pray.